This is Myla, and welcome to our podcast, As Far As I'm Concerned. We're a relatively chill podcast that gives often overlooked students and teachers a platform on which to express their opinions on social issues through a casual format they're comfortable with. Just a bit of background information that we probably should not be telling random strangers on the internet, but that is necessary for a sufficient context. We are all private high school students, this is not affiliated with our school in any way, and should not be treated as such. So, for today's discussion, we have technology. Let's get started. So the Silicon Valley is one of the U.S.'s largest centers for tech-related industries. Have you, like, ever considered a career in tech, Polly? Personally, I have considered a career in tech, like, a lot. I feel like living in Silicon Valley just surrounds you with tech almost everywhere you go. And especially with the school that we attend and, like, parental pressures, you definitely feel like you're kind of being pushed into that industry. Yeah, it's like your parents are like, oh, engineering? That's such a broad category. You only get to do computer science engineering. Definitely. (laughs) What about you, Cheryl? Oh, yeah, definitely for me also, especially since both my parents, like their career is related to tech. I have like double the pressure to do CS in the future. But since it is one of my interests, I guess it works out pretty well. And maybe growing up in Silicon Valley was a blessing after all. Maybe. What about you, Beaver? Yeah, I agree with Cheryl. Um, My parents are also involved in tech. And it's an interesting point that Polly brought up that we do only focus on CS part of engineering a lot rather than like everything else. And you kind of noticed later on like Oh, hardware engineering is kind of important too. But my focus right now is mostly on CS as my interest, so I guess I don't think about the hardware part much. Yeah, back to the whole engineering. There's no civil engineering or anything of that sort involved. That's all engineering for the low lives, right? You gotta do CS. That's what they mean when they say engineering. Now, what about you, Epsilon? The low lives. What an interesting word. Um, Yeah, a lot of people have basically said my exact sentiment that in Silicon Valley, you don't really have much of an option outside of, you know, sort of being involved in software, even if you're not going directly into computer science. I mean, feels like computational biology and computational physics are sort of on the rise, right? Even if you're into an economic field or something that isn't directly related to software, you're going to end up being heavily involved in the software coding aspect of them. Mm-hmm. Telling your parents, oh, I'm going to go into computational biology. Science? Oh, no, wait, that's basically CS anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Well, as a follow up to that question, I guess you guys have sort of answered this already, but how do you think living in Silicon Valley has affected your opinions and your views of technology? Do you think you like it more because you're immersed in it so much? Or do you want to take like a different route? I think I definitely like it more um, than if I lived somewhere else that wasn't so involved in like technology and CS in general because here you have so many opportunities, you have like classes you can take, summer camps, and then people always share all these like online opportunities as well to learn and it really like puts you 
in that field already, even though none of us actually have like full, you know, full jobs in, the, in this career or in this field, but we kind of feel like we're already involved in it, if that makes any sense. Because a lot of our parents are like engineers, software programmers, all this kind of stuff. And it kind of pushes us in that direction. Yeah, I definitely agree. And especially with the pandemic and last year's transition to all online learning, you basically can't get away from the tech industry because you're using it every day for so long. And especially for like even the elementary schoolers, they um, spend as much time online as us like last year. So it's basically unheard of to not be immersed in the industry, especially in Silicon Valley. Um, I feel like it has made me like technology more because once you're growing up around technology, you start to realize how powerful it can be. But at the same time, it also feels sort of like I'm being cornered because I don't really have much of a choice in career besides to go into that field. Yeah. Your elementary school point is really valuable. Like when I was in fourth grade, I could type at like one word a minute. That, that, that was about my typing speed. And now all of these little kids, they're like always on the computer. It's kind of scary to see. All right, what about you, Beaver? Yeah, actually I was thinking education has pretty much evolved around CS too. Like you learn coding stuff when you're in elementary school, they tell you to like, um, do code.org and all those typing websites. And I don't think it's exactly a bad thing, though it does, like Cheryl said, um, it narrows your choices for a career. But sometimes if you think about it, like it's kind of hard to think of a very specific task when that you want to achieve in your career when you're programming. Oftentimes you're just thinking about getting into a company, which is a very general thing to consider as your job. Yeah, like like others have said, it's you're sort of immersed in a ubiquitous culture about programming and coding. But I wouldn't necessarily say it corners you or limits your options, because um, as Cheryl said, right, programming can be very powerful and um, it can be used in a lot of very general applications. And so to have those tools at your disposal when you're only in elementary school, when a lot of people in other places in the country have to wait until they're like in high school to get um, access to those tools can give you actually a huge head start and advantage in a lot of modern fields. Hmm. All really interesting ideas and I definitely agree. So I have to ask you guys, can you compare like where we are to other places? Like if you've lived anywhere else, I personally haven't, I've lived in the same area for most of my life, but have you visited somewhere else? Like. How do they differ from Silicon Valley and like technology? And is there the same emphasis on getting a STEM career in other places as there is here? Well, when I was little, I used to live in Washington. And I would say there's a pretty big difference on the emphasis in STEM. But I'm not sure how applicable this is because I was only there until like first grade. So maybe I was just too young. But like in school, they never had computer classes and I don't believe any of the older grades did either whereas when I moved to California 
suddenly it was like, oh, you have computer class at school. And I was like, cool, I guess. And I remember there, it wasn't like the school as well wasn't very dependent on technology either. Again, it could be because I was in first grade, but I don't remember ever using technology in school. Whereas here, technology is much more involved now in current education. But then again, that could also be, I was just too young back then. But I do feel like there are many more opportunities for jobs, especially in the Silicon Valley than there were there. Like for example, we moved because my dad is a programmer and he found a job that was in California, so we had to move. It was like much better than any of the jobs that they had in Washington, so I would definitely say that's another aspect of it, is that there are many more opportunities here for people who are interested in that field. Yeah, I definitely agree with Polly, but I haven't really lived anywhere else, so I can't consider the perspective of different places. Like, I do understand the abstract idea that in other places, they're not as immersed in the tech industry as over here, of course. But um, I don't really know what that means, like in a tangible way, since I've just always been grown. I've always grown up surrounded by all of this technology and like these um, ideas that are so ubiquitous in the industry. Yeah, I think I agree with Polly. It's mostly because we're in the Silicon Valley that maybe this area, I don't know, funded schools more, but they have a lot more money to buy computers. Because, um, yeah, I only lived up until first grade in China, but I am pretty sure that there were no computers for even like the higher schoolers. And um, my cousin who goes to school in China, who's around the same age as me, doesn't like, she's not very interested in computer science and I'm pretty sure her school does not offer any computer related classes or maybe it's just like not a main class and maybe it's some elective. So I think it's probably because of the focus that schools put on technology that students will feel like it's um, such a common career and a very obvious choice. Yeah, I do see what all of you guys mean. For sure. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. You know, the fun part about getting to go last is they get to say what everyone else said. Yeah, I agree. Um, like Cheryl, I haven't really lived anywhere else, so I can't really attest to whether or not other places have as much of an emphasis on STEM and on coding. But I would imagine that given the kinds of jobs that most of the parents in, like, you know, in our area have, they would be much more laser focused on getting us to follow in that direction. And so I don't think that most places in the world would have either, like others said, the, the funding, but also the, the feeling of obligation to put kids on a specific track like we do here. Congrats, Epsilon. Overwhelmingly original thoughts. Okay, I'm joking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right, moving on from Silicon Valley to tech in general. What are the pros and cons of the increase of tech in our world? Just throw them out there. What you think is great about this and what you think should be fixed or there should be less of? 
Polly? Well, I think obviously the most like glaring pro and also almost a con is that it just kind of makes life easier, which is a good thing because it can help you get things done faster. You can get more things done, be more productive, but it can also be a bad thing because it can makes people lazy in some aspects. For example, like students with the internet, it's so easy to just like Google search and kind of find all your answers without genuinely putting in a lot of hard work and effort. But in the same time, it also aids you because if in some way you don't understand something that was taught in class, you can go watch like YouTube videos and just kind of catch up on everything that you missed. So I think this is a good and bad thing <laughs> depending on how you use it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And going back to my previous point about last year's online school, forcing even like elementary schoolers to be so dependent on technology, I feel like that could potentially instill um, negative values in them. For example, if early on, like from their childhood, they discover it's so easy to cheat on the test or plagiarize because you can simply Google things while you're taking the test. Um, that's definitely not a good thing. And in terms of just health, it's not good if you're always sitting in front of a computer, right? And it's like, it's damaging to your vision and also like to your health in general because you're constantly sitting in the same posture. Um, so yeah, but I do appreciate that technology has made online schooling possible because it would be much more detrimental if students all around the world just missed an entire year of school because they just couldn't go back to in-person school. Yeah, I agree. There's quite a lot of cons with technology. Like sometimes you just feel like you're sitting there and you're trying to think about what to do, but you everything you think of is online. So even if you want to take a break from the computer, like even especially now that most of our homework and stuff is online, um, there's not a lot you can do with like reading books or whatever, whatnot. Uh, the most you could do, I guess, that's offline is exercising, which I'm sure that lots of people are doing of their own will. Yeah, I think I know someone who created like a meme that was like, average time spent on the phone 24 hours per day that kind of thing yeah and i know a lot of my sister who was younger her friends are all like getting glasses a lot earlier than they should have because they've been staring at the computer for a year and i think doctors are saying something similar too like if it wasn't for this that wouldn't have happened well okay this is a very negative crowd i see but um i think that there are things that can be abused with technology. And technology is very general, right? I'm assuming you mean electronic, specifically the internet. Um, but the internet in and of itself cannot cause harm, right? It is only how people use it. And yeah, you could use it to be constantly distracted or whatever, but although it gives you access to all the information that could distract you, it gives you access to all the information, period, right? A seventh grader has the ability to learn multivariable calculus on their own if they want to. And I think that that as a resource is more powerful than most people seem to give it credit for. 
Yeah, that's really? Very true, actually. I learned a lot of stuff online, so I can really agree with that point. It's so much easier to find books online instead of like going to the library and, I don't know, seeing all the big words and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, for me, I just, you know, started working with like volunteer organizations online. It's just so much easier doing stuff online because there's no annoying commute or anything like that. And it's easier to organize stuff too. And even for like school, we had so many essays, particularly history, in which if online resources like our textbook didn't exist, we would have to go to a library ourselves and find like check out so many books just to look through them to see if they had the right information that we needed. So the fact that so much information is online is really helpful in that it saves us time and also money because like the money that it takes to print out resources or buy the books is saved in the process. Also, this might just be my hallucinations, but I do believe that this is currently being recorded using technology and the means of us being able to organize and communicate this are through technology. So I'm just saying, if we limit ourselves to only allowing technology to develop, which had absolutely no destructive potential, we would be, you know, still dealing with sticks that were hopefully not too sharp that people people could poke each other. Recording this? Come on, that's absurd. This is just a normal conversation between five people. Nothing's being recorded or distributed at all. I think you are hallucinating. Oh, okay. It's Shh, don't break the fourth wall. Don't do it. Anyway, moving on from that. Well, so I was... We already talked about this, I guess, like the issues of tech overstimulation and all of that. I was wondering if you guys have any like anecdotes with this, like tech makes it easy to listen to music and at the same time be watching Netflix and at the same time try to do your homework and just just an explosion. And have you dealt with any of the adverse effects from this? I think the second I think of like tech overstimulation, my brain automatically goes to like video games, <laughs> especially because so many people are um, addicted to video games now. Like during summer, uh, one of my friends, every time I checked Discord, it was like playing a video game for like three hours. And I was like, dang, okay, <laughs> cool. And then, like Another one of my friends uh, recently started playing this new game. And he said that he's already spent like one third of the last two weeks playing that game which is insane to think about how many hours that is. Honestly, that's, yeah, but it definitely has, like addiction, especially to video games, can be harmful to your eyesight is a huge one. Um, your posture, oh my God. Every time people like hunched over over their computer and then like your mom will come and like slap your back and goes like, oh, sit straight and that kind of stuff. But you just go back to that posture after a little while. Yeah. Also, this is a universal experience. I thought that was just me. But anyway, um, addiction, especially to games, is definitely a major problem. And in general, I think that, as Epsilon said earlier, um, technology can be very distracting when you want it to be, or even when you don't want it to be sometimes. Like, there are people who try to multitask by watching Netflix while doing their homework or other things, but 
it is very bad for your time management skills, as my parents always say, and it does waste a lot of your time, and you might end up not doing either task well. Although I don't really know how you would watch Netflix well. Um, okay, but like the true big multitasking energy is when you start doing work and you multitask by doing other work as you do the first work. Oh, that's just procrastinating on another level, which I think all of us can relate to. Oh, of course, of course. Wait, yeah. how do you do two pieces of work at once? Switch between two tabs, start doing do one, one work, and then up. think about the other work as you do the first work. So then switch to do that, but then you can't stop thinking about the... Is this just me? Or this isn't just me, is it? No. Two, two hands, but two different computers, two different essays. No, just spawn a third hand for it. You can use your toes. Oh, oh yeah, good plan. <laughs> anyway, getting back on track. I think, Beaver, did you want to share? Oh, I feel like the procrastination is always going to be that issue that every student probably is going to struggle with. I don't think it really matters if there's internet or not, since you could just procrastinate by writing as well. But I think I'm wondering if there's any proof that the internet or just like, yeah, the internet can make your heart rate go up and then maybe that causes premature deaths or something because, I don't know, people get heart attacks from wow. um, being constantly hyped up. Like, you know, when you're doing multiple things at once and you're getting used to like violent video games or something like that. I mean, I think violent video games thing has already been like disproved and the multitasking, if you're going to do that, yeah, and the multitasking thing, if you're going to do that, you're going to do that in, real, in normal life, right, off the computer too. Like for me, I multitask on everything, it, whether it's in real life, like off the computer or on the computer. And the procrastination, you said it's the same off the computer or on the computer. For that one, I disagree. And I'm using myself as an example here because I never used to procrastinate. And now everything was online and it's just so easy to just get caught up talking to your friends in a specific group chat and, you know, losing track of time and just ending up procrastinating. So to answer your previous question, though, I don't think that increased heart rate is what causes health problems. Rather, the idea of sitting in front of the computer for so long and like the lack of exercise that could lead to heart problems. Uh, that seems yeah. more likely. Also, yeah. as for the procrastination, um, like uh, Beaver said, I, I would agree that procrastination is not something that's um, limited only to online activity, right? Um, procrastination is a mindset of putting off work. And although the internet can enable it, if you really wanted to avoid your work, there are plenty of things you could do besides um, besides, you know, looking up something interesting or playing a video game. And as far as real life addictions go, I think procrastination is by far one of the least destructive. Yeah, you're all right there. And I think that's enough discussion on this very small question that I asked. So, okay, moving on to the fun stuff. What are your opinions on the idea that AI will take over the world? Go. Well, this is kind of an extreme transition, or maybe an extreme lack of transition. My bad. I mean, about AI taking over the world, 
I think that's really very extreme to consider right now. But what is an interesting topic to consider is the idea of AI, like replacing workers in factories, which is simultaneously a both a good and bad thing, depending on your perspective, right? Like,、um, many people will lose their jobs, but at the same time, workers in factories are subject to really bad conditions, which would be harmful to like their health and life in general. So it might be a good thing that they're getting replaced by robots eventually. Then again, no jobs means death. Which I think a lot of people would say is worse than bad conditions. Then again, maybe not. We'll have to see. So, what are your opinions, Polly, or Epsilon, if you want to talk?、Uh, no, I was just going to respond to something there. That the automation of you know a lot of manual labor and jobs like that could be more conducive to a different economic structure. You said that no jobs lead to death because you need to work jobs、um, to get money.、Um, But automate、uh, when manual labor is automated, you could definitely have a different economic structure that maybe wouldn't require、um, jobs like that to make money. I mean, I'm not necessarily thinking exactly communism, but along that line, yeah, that does make sense. Or maybe just humanity would kind of elevate and start learning in more depth, and all jobs would be highly skilled things that AI can't do. AI can do it. Oh, but that, that's getting into the other question. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Someone else want to answer? I think this is kind of <clears throat> like a basic-ish answer to it,、um, but like AI will take over the world, kind of if we let it. Because if you think about it, we're the ones making AI, and we do kind of have like a one-up on AI in, in the fact that like our human characteristics. And although there are some AI that could almost like detect emotion and stuff like that, I feel like it'll be very hard to. Completely replicate humans, if that makes sense, because just there's just so much going on within the human body, and it's so complex that it would be so hard to make an AI to completely replicate it.、Um, but once we can do that, I think it really depends on who is using it and what they're using it for. For example, if you're just using it to do good, like maybe help with like rescue missions or stuff like that, it would be really beneficial. But if you're using it to like manipulate people, then I think that's a very different story. Yeah, I kind of agree in that I don't really see AI taking over the world anytime soon, because just because it's so hard to understand how we make it become more intelligent than us in the first place, like if you do programming, you know the often seen image of a person trying to throw their computer out of a second store. Okay, never mind. Um, anyway, so it's pretty hard to imagine AI being very intelligent right now, but I feel like if it gets to the point that we make an AI that's that smart, it's very possible that, well, I don't know, the government or somebody already knows how to analyze human behavior, and maybe by then there will be some, there will already be a solution to、uh, keep alive the people who without jobs. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in the fact that the AI will not be able to take over the world because it's us building this AI. So I think we gotta know, right? We gotta like, if we're smart enough to build an AI that mimics a human, we're probably smart enough to know how to control it. Yeah, I think the idea about building over building an AI that can take over the world is that 
you can't really do it by accident, right? Um, it comes down to the difference between sort of a general AI that you teach it to just think, which I don't think anyone has come close to doing, versus AI that do very specific tasks that we teach them, right? An AI that teaches, um, that learns how to play chess is not ever going to become self-aware, right? An AI that uh, does image recognition to discover if a face is male or female is not ever going to accidentally take over the world, right? It, it has certain inputs and has certain outputs. And it's in, if its inputs are chess games, its training data is chess games or pictures of people's faces, it's not going to jump from that to, I want to conquer humanity, right? That's not really something that would ever occur to it. Agreed. Yeah, completely. Okay, so I guess we already answered, like, do we think technology will ever be superior to humans? No, I guess probably oh, not with consensus. Or I think it was more in the context of like, do you think technology will able, ever be able to take over humans? But like, yeah, I guess we can answer that. Like superior to humans and like the ways they think and the ways they act. Do you want to I mean, talk it, about that? Sure. I mean, it depends on what you call superior, but they're beings that would act with pure logic, right? They have, they don't have the sentimentality or sure the complexity of humans but you could argue that they're superior in the sense that they don't really make mistakes by their own reasoning that they they can be confident in that every action they make is one that they intended to make whereas humans are so complicated that we don't even really know our own goals yeah like on chess games like you already used that example there's easy medium and hard and in easy the computer makes deliberate mistakes not unlike a human who's just messing up because they don't know any better. If the computer wanted to win, it probably could win. Against most people, at least. Rest of you have anything to add? I agree with like what's been said. And there's also like, you know, the aspect of human error. For example, like doing some calculations, humans could just I don't know, write the wrong number because they couldn't read their handwriting or something. <laughs> Whereas that wouldn't usually happen with a computer. So they're, they are superior in that sense. Um, but I think specifically in emotions, I feel like humans, well actually depending on the person maybe, can be superior. And also as something that we kind of mentioned in the chat is how AI kind of takes everything super literally. So they're not they don't really understand our kind of culture or society. Like if you told um, like AI, like don't let the cat out of the bag, they would take it very literally. Like don't physically let the cat get out of the bag. Whereas in our culture, it's like, don't let the secret get out kind of. So in that sense, they still have like ways to progress to be more advanced than us in that specific area. But in terms of like, mathematics or you know computation in general i would say that they're definitely superior to us i just want to add though like as from the point of view of a programmer your code is only like as smart as you are basically because if you make mistakes the code won't work and if you do it inefficiently it may take longer to run or the results produced may not be as good so AI can be superior in terms of like 
mistakes wise, but only if the people making it made it well enough to do so. Like if it's a faulty AI, it won't really um, do anything. Well, I, I, I would contest the idea that an AI can only be as smart or good as the person who's building it. Because I think in a lot of our ideas of what we're, uh, what we're trying to get AI to the point of, we're trying to make it so that it is really able to learn from its own mistakes and build itself upon that, right? So theoretically, you could have an AI that is much, much better than a person intended it to be because it can improve upon itself in ways that no programmer could have really anticipated it could have proved it, uh, it could have improved upon itself. That might kind of depend on, well, the humans have to make up the theory for the program to understand, right? We can't just say like the program, take a look at this picture of flowers and predict what history was 200 years ago. You still have to have that theory in place to relate two things together which does kind of mean that AI is only going to be as smart as uh, the extent of our knowledge, I guess. We have and to, you can make it grow on it, that, but we have yeah, to... Yeah, we have to tell it how to improve. But once we have taught it how it can improve itself, there's really theoretically no limit as to how well it can improve itself as long as it's training data is accurate. Are, it's not, are you yeah. referring to like machine learning? Yeah. Like putting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I assume that's what we're talking about with AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the idea that like you can just take the most simple thing. Like I made an application once that was like it measured like good bananas versus bad bananas, and if you put in a picture of a banana, it can tell you whether whether it's expired or not, and when it's gonna expire, and the better it gets. Yeah. Yeah, and I think chess is a better example of this, right? Because Google built an AI named Alpha Zero, which, unlike previous models of you know chess learning machines, didn't base itself upon patterns that, you know, chess grandmasters played. Instead, it played itself billions and billions and trillions of times until it got to a point where it was as good as those grandmasters. Nobody taught it how to play good chess. They just taught it how to play chess and how to improve its own chess. And it improved to a level where, you know, you know nobody had expected it to improve. Does anyone have anything else to say? That's actually, that model is actually pretty brilliant. We should do that kind of thing more. All right, if that's everything you guys have to say, then let's move on to, I think, a topic that all of us have had experience with coding, programming, rather than AI and machine learning. So do you guys, I think we already discussed this and like your interest in having a career in technology, but do you enjoy coding? What What do you find fun about it? And what what things do you think you don't really like as much about it? We're dropping from like AI discussions into what do you like about coding? Uh, how these podcast episodes go? I feel like um, maybe the best part about coding is your final program, like getting that desired output because sometimes it can take so long to do debugging, finding all your errors, make sure you have everything covered that when you finally fully finish it, you have like this huge sense of dissatisfaction and you know, it's almost relief in a way that like all your effort came out well, pretty much. Yeah, I'd say that's the biggest part. And then in terms of like annoying parts, in my opinion, debugging, because yeah, it's very, it can be very tedious 
and it can be sometimes hard to do. So, yeah. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. And the worst part is when it's like a complex bug in which when you fix something and you assume it's all done, it was only the surface problem. And then you realize that fixing that makes a lot of other problems appear. Um, yeah. And for me, since I know a lot of programming languages, but like not really in depth for most of them, um, I sometimes have difficulty with the syntax of a particular language because I keep trying to use syntax from other languages. Like, does this one need semicolons? And like, how does this one work for loops? So um, there's that. But I, I do agree in that when the code finally works, it's very satisfying and you feel a sense of accomplishment. Oh yeah, looking for the methods native to each language, it's so annoying. Sometimes you just wish that this language had a feature from that other language. And that takes up like half of the time you're trying to code. Um, but the most fun thing I think is the problem. A lot of the times like some coding problems can be weird if you're talking about like competitive programming. Uh, and if you're talking about like huge projects, then yeah, seeing the out, seeing like the output and seeing it work is so satisfying. I'm, I'm guessing getting a little into psychology here, but I'm guessing when you put in so much effort into it and you're like at the point of exhaustion and your brain is like ready to explode while you've been working for hours on it, then you get this emotional connection with this program and you know, you start to think of this program as your little baby and stuff like that. That's why you feel so happy about seeing it work. Yeah, so so definitely like debugging is probably the most annoying part, right? Especially when you can't really tell where exactly it's going wrong and how that's affected other things. Um, like Beaver was talking about, um, kind of competitive programming can be a good example of how coding can be really fun and interesting and more of a mathematical algorithmic problem than an actual programming problem um but in general i've never really preferred the longer you know like say let's say game development and stuff because of that reason debugging and stuff and looking at the specific quirks of a language or a particular library becomes a much larger more time consuming part than the actual problem solving which makes coding fun mm -hmm. yeah the I think I most resonated with the complex bug thing and like, honestly, I know the pain, but like, it's all worth it in the end when you get a product. And that applies to, I think, everything. So I have to ask you guys, what do you think in our society, in just the area we live in or beyond that, what's the most important use for coding? Like, what do you put above everything else? Like, this is a thing, this is, what's been made so much easier with coding than it was before. Holly? I think honestly, there's just too many things to talk about, honest. Cause just like everything's been made so much easier with technology and everything that it's really hard to just pinpoint one specific area. Um, but like the first thing maybe I can think about is communication, I would say definitely is a huge one. Like being able to talk to people without having to send letters and then like waiting who knows how long to receive one and then like checking the mail every day it just makes it so much easier 
Yeah, I definitely agree. And since for some reason I am the online learning person for this episode, I'm going to bring up online learning again. So as I said previously, last year we weren't allowed to go back to in-person school because of the pandemic. So without the internet and like communication apps like the one we are using right now, um, we would have had no way to learn anything for that year. And um, everyone would be really behind this year once we return to school. So it's definitely a good thing that like communication and like video conference particularly has advanced to the point where um, most schools can operate relatively smoothly with them. Yeah, I'm seeing the most like common application of programming is kind of gaming and stuff but there are also um the very like outstanding companies like google or amazon or i don't know instagram um social media search browsers and stuff like that they're very creative uses of programming to actually build on um something that their customers might want but never knew about which is a pretty interesting idea I heard from someplace. Yeah, I, I would so I would agree with Polly, like she said earlier, that I don't really think it's possible to pinpoint a specific, like, you know, most useful uh, application of programming. Like we were talking about earlier, it's kind of, programming has become ubiquitous, right? In Silicon Valley, sure, in education, but around the world, programming has its usage, has its usage, it's sort of like, you know, tentacles of usage in every single pie and it tends to reinforce its own usages so for example um even deeper than you might think right products like you know toasters or whatever are more efficient today because they can be built by people who are better educated and those people are better educated because of the internet which exists because of programming the point is it's it's been around long enough now um that it's sunk to a deep enough level that it affects everything in our lives and nothing would be the same without it. Thanks for sharing, guys. That's all really true. All right, moving on from programming and kind of into, like you guys all mentioned, like the world of products and tech, right? What are your opinions on new products like Apple's iPhones, Apple's iPads? I, I don't know which iPhone edition is out right now, but like all of them, right? Like iPhone 6, we've gone from all the way back there, all the way to these new we're at 42 right now. Yeah, that, whatever. No, we're not at 40. Okay, anyway. <clears throat> yeah, whatever it is. Whatever edition it's at, do you think that there's a lot of differences between an iPhone 6 and an iPhone like 11? I know that one came out. Do you think a lot? there's a lot of differences between them or are they just being used to earn more money? There's an iPhone 13 now, by the way. What she said. I mean, I don't keep track of this stuff. I have a Nexus. My parents have it, the new phone. Congrats. So is it is it really as fancy as it's made out to be? Frankly, the only thing that's really interesting about it is the camera. The camera is like as good as I said it would be, but in terms of the general functions and like UI, 
I don't think much has changed, honestly. If anything, it's just faster than the old ones, particularly because most apps are like upgrading so that they only are compatible with newer editions. So I guess that and the camera are the only two um, updates. Oh, I could talk about Apple scams forever, like the headphone jack. I can't use my mom's phone for anything anymore because like I have to use her headphones, which is just I don't know. Why would you do that? It's so they have the coupling thing, but like who has that on them? It's it's just a scam to get people to buy their headphones, which it, it just I don't like it. It's just why do they have to do that. Honestly, I get that it's to make money and all of that, but like you're kind of alienating your customers in a way through that. And I was wondering, actually, do you know how much these phones cost compared to older models? And is the like price jump worth it for the camera? Significantly more, I believe. And um, I don't think they're particularly different. I think, like you said, it's kind of like a scam to get people to buy more. I believe um, I read recently that the European Union is considering passing a resolution so that headphone jacks and chargers will have to have a universal um, standard between all companies, which I think would be really, really good for consumers, if not for, you know, Apple. Um, as for the differences between older and newer iPhones, I think that ever since, I believe since Steve Jobs died, Apple has been um, kind of dealing less in, you know, disruptive innovations where they change something really drastic and more in really incremental innovations, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But I also think that You'll save a lot of money if you just buy, you know, every three or four iPhones instead of buying every new one. Without seeing much drop in, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, iPhone fives. If they, if my mom's old iPhone five hadn't run out of like battery and stopped functioning, like it could still be used. There's nothing wrong with it. It still does all the functions. I it's still use, yeah. relatively fancy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I think we kind of answered this, but like the whole conspicuous consumption thing, how much do you really think that people buy certain brands like Apple just for the name? Or are the products really that much higher up than any old phone? Like comparing like a Nexus like I had, a Nexus 5X to the most fancy iPhone. Is there really that much of a difference? I mean, in my opinion, no, because it just it satisfies the main functions and that's all that matters, right? I think there's something to be said about synchronization. If you're already invested in Apple, you already have, you know, a MacBook, an iPad, an iPod, it kind of makes more sense to just go for an iPhone so that you get all the benefits of, you know, being able to work with them together in sync or work with other people in sync than, I don't know, getting a Nexa and then trying to wrangle that to work with your MacBook. Hmm. Yeah, you have a like valuable point there and I, yes, airdropping is actually a thing that I wasn't able to do for like some stuff like, you know, AP Classroom and stuff and that made it harder, but I do still think like it's not worth the expense. Like maybe get an iPhone cheaper version, but honestly, there's no point in like getting an iPhone 14 over just a simple other phone. Okay, in the interest of time, I'm going to move on to our last topic for today. Social media, I'm sure you've all been waiting for it. So. 
how does social media how has it impacted our lives since it's in, like at since its advent and has it allowed people to talk more or is it keeping more people from interacting in meaningful ways like all of our group chats are they useful because people are interacting especially like introverts who can't really talk in person or is it just stunting real connection i think that it definitely does help with communication in that sense it makes it so much easier to kind of like keep up with your friends see like what they're doing kind of but in the same way it keeps you from really interacting in real life and i mean i guess you could form like a very deep connection online but i still find it very hard to do that without meeting that person in in person and being able to talk to them face to face especially because um in person you can you know have like like if someone's making a joke it's much more obvious in person than if it's online and there's just a lot of aspects of a conversation that are lost when you're talking online and it is like you can have meaningful conversations online but i think it's very hard to build up a very strong and deep connection with someone when you're only really talking to a screen and in the same way it's sometimes social media can be so addicting that if you're even with someone in real life you could still just be like messaging each other through your phones because you're not used to talking in person uh, like people like maybe in middle school or something if people all got together a lot of people would just spend a lot of their time staring at their phones instead of interacting with each other i know this is something that a lot of co like parents complain about nowadays but i do think it's quite accurate in some ways so I think um, even though social media in general can be incredibly toxic and distracting at times, I don't want to be like the cynical person because the main uh, benefit of our group chats, I think, is particularly for academic purposes. Like people can easily ask for help on homework questions or confirm whether there is a test tomorrow and what to study for very easily and we can also help each other with that easier and above all it's very helpful for coordinating group projects like if we didn't have group chats or social media in general it would be really hard to communicate outside of school for group projects so that's one of its major benefits that is school related at least I would say it's actually pretty useful in the sense that you don't have to worry about talking over people. That's like such a big problem in real life because you actually, especially if you're with a large group of people, you actually have to stop while one person is talking so you can listen to what they're talking about. Um, but the con is, I guess, because maybe we're not as used to technology as we think because humans do still or like social creatures so they kind of have to see someone to establish a connection with them maybe like especially with hand gesture hand gestures or like tone uh, we kind of can also read people's mood when we you know see their faces rather than see what they're typing and oftentimes what people are typing uh, especially like you know um, if people are playing video games and talking to strangers online people could pretend to be someone else? Um, yeah, I know I've been the one, you know, supporting 
uh, technology this whole time. But I will be a little bit cynical about social media. I think the main thing it does is lower the filter on what people say. You know, the anonymity. I don't think you know. Uh, Cheryl was talking earlier about Cheryl. I got that right. Yeah. Um, Cheryl was talking a bit about、um, you know how you can communicate with people better. I don't think a small group chat is primarily what we mean about social media.、Um, what we mean is sort of the anonymity that something like Twitter provides, right? The fact that you can broadcast something out, something out that you know you think of at one a.m. in the morning to three million people, maybe. I don't think that's particularly healthy. It kind of Lowers the bar on intellectual discussion and devalues discussion in general.、Mm, you're absolutely right there. And I was actually going to ask, like, are TikTok trends and influencers and all of that are they good? I guess to some, yeah, I guess to some sense, in some aspects, they are. Like, if they promote good self-esteem, good body image, etc., etc. But in the majority of cases, that maybe not. That maybe isn't the best thing, especially because of addiction and whatnot. All right. In the interest of time, I'm going to move past social media to my final question because I like controversy. I'm going to ask you guys, what is your favorite programming language and why? This is going to be more of like a comedy-ish answer. But when I was in middle school, my school is very like anti. New technology, so they made us learn this programming language called Terrapin Logo when we were in like、oh、third grade. The memories, <laughs> I swear, stop bringing them back. No, it was so good because it was just a turtle, and you can just make all these drawings, and it just reminds me of my childhood. Okay, but I'm pretty sure everyone knows where we went in middle school, though. Now, <laughs> okay, okay, everyone else. Um. Okay, so I'm gonna give a somewhat serious answer, which is obviously right, and no one could ever dispute it. Which is、uh, Python, because Python. I know it's been accused of being slower than a lot of other languages to compile for things like competitive programming, but I think there are a number of, of advantages that it has in terms of time. One is that it doesn't really matter if it's you know three seconds slower to compile if it takes you know several days less time to write. It has a lot of built-in modules and libraries, and it is loosely typed, but. The the flexibility that gives you generally outweighs any bugs that arise from that. Also, modern versions compile much much faster. I mean, I personally agree. I like Python the best, but that's mostly just because that's the main first programming language I learned, other than like HTML and all of that. Which Terrapin logo. Ah,、uh, oh no! How <laughs> could I forget Terrapin logo? I'm so sorry. My childhood. Okay, Cheryl Beaver, you guys want to share? So I have to say this is a very hard question to answer because I know a lot of different languages used for like different purposes.、Um, but for general programming, I guess I would I would agree with Epsilon and say it's Python. But like, I mean, you can't really compare all languages, I guess, because it would be like comparing. Apples to oranges. If I am to use a very overused idiom, I mean, you could just say it's like comparing languages, right? Like it's yeah, like comparing、yeah. English to Spanish. Yeah. Which like, one is better? Say, oh yeah, English is better, or like oh yeah, Spanish is better. You can't really say that because, like, it's not something you compare. You know, 
For example, SQL, which is like a language for databases, you can't compare that to um, HTML, which is for web development. Like they serve completely different purposes. But yeah, Python superiority. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I agree with her, but I just wanted to add that I don't think HTML or SQL really count as languages per se. Um, but yeah, no, in general, I agree. There, there are languages that have more specific use cases that you would obviously want to use over Python in specific cases. Yeah, no, HTML on its own doesn't really count, but if you combine it with CSS and JavaScript, maybe. I still don't think it counts. Sure. JavaScript, JavaScript counts. Yeah, JavaScript on its own is like a whole different thing. Anyway, um, Beaver, did you want to share? Just saying, I don't really want to disagree with the idea that Python is great, but I think Java has a whole lot of functions that are not in Python right now. I'm not saying I'm not liking Python because like it's slow, because uh, while that is a problem, you know, it's not that relevant since we're not really doing anything complicated like yet. In the interest of not starting a war, I'm gonna, you know... Okay, you no Epsilon, like... you don't get to talk. Java has so much more functions, so many more methods than Python, and sometimes it's a lot more useful to learn if, if like, think... the ideas behind competitive programming, like um, algorithms, because you have to actually know the names of the algorithms and their methods and like their runtime. Epsilon, if I do say so, shut up, please. Okay, I'm just going to quickly, quickly point something out, okay? One is that the reason why Java has a couple, a few more native methods than uh, Python is because Python has a whole slate of built-in modules that cover all the things that Java is missing, even if it, even in its base classes. Also, um, the idea that Java better teaches the fundamentals is like ridiculous, but okay. All right, we're moving on, and I think that's it for our time today. So thank you so much, guys, everyone. This was a great discussion and war at the end. But anyway, thanks for coming by, and that was great. We'll see you at our next episode. Viewers, thank you for listening. Bye, guys. Thank you. Goodbye. We'd like to thank our guest speakers, Epsilon and Beaver, as well as Polly for editing and recording, Cheryl for performing the music that you are hearing right now, and Myla for script writing and general moral support. We would also like to thank our English teacher for inspiring us to create this podcast. Last but not least, we'd like to thank our dedicated listeners for supporting us. See you in the next episode!